All right, well, welcome everybody. My name is Tom Miller and I have a handful of uh, charter school leaders and charter school business leaders and advocates and really, really critical uh, people uh, here in North Carolina, the charter school movement. And uh, with me always is my uh, teaching partner and my business partner, Katie Reidenauer. And so this, this call in particular is to really just be a thinking partner call for anybody who's in school leadership who just needs better answers or needs to think through. And, and Katie and I, you know, we're mentored by uh, John Maxwell and he, and he did this lesson about when do, uh, when do, um, what do leaders do in times of uncertainty, right? And he says, when do people need a leader the most? And the answer is now, right? The times of uncertainty. And, and, and when is it most hard to lead people? And it's, it's times of uncertainty. This is, this is really, really difficult. And, and so in times of uncertainty, you know, the tendency is for uh, people to either freeze, right? Or they say, you know, I don't know. I don't want to make a decision. And, and, but you have to be constantly leading. So the purpose of this is really to inform you, connect you, guide you, and really unite charter and business leaders to make sure we're making the best decisions um, for our community, for our organization, and keep security and safety because we all know the number one reason why parents choose us is because of safety and security and we have their well-being um, first and foremost. And, and so, you know, they are, they are looking to us uh, to, to make that call, right? And, and you all know in leadership, um, there are no easy decisions and you're not going to win everybody over but it's not about that right it's about what's doing best for the organization and community so um you should have received if you're on here there was a uh, access to a google document which you know katie and i will be compiling everybody's notes and information right here and we have an incredible partnership with uh, rhonda dillingham from the nc association for public charter schools so rhonda go ahead and you know, hop in here and, 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 you know, really, you know, you know, talk to us from an advocacy uh, standpoint and, and how, and how your organization is continuing to try to inform everybody. And then we'll take time to introduce all the other business leaders and then we'll open the call up for everybody who, anybody who wants to ask a question either through the chat box or you can unmute yourself and go ahead and uh, hop in. So Rhonda, go ahead. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what, you've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Good morning, everyone. This is Rhonda Dillingham, Executive Director of the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools. And I just want you to know that all of the work that we've been doing in regards to this crisis have been through the lens of the three pillars of the um, association, and that is advocacy, education, and support. Uh, on the support side, every day for the last week or two, I've been sending out emails with attachments of a number of important resources from fact sheets on the virus to parent letters in English and Spanish and a variety of different resources that are meant to support schools so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And in, um, in that line of thinking, we are in the process of creating an emergency guidance folder that will be housed on the website for all charter schools in the state. This, uh, you know, this uh, is not a time for me to 
care about who is a member and who isn't. This is for the greater good. And so uh, everything that I have pushed out for the last few days will be going up on our website for whomever to use uh, at your at your disposal. Then in uh, the form of advocacy, of course, we have our uh, government relations team through Patrick Townsend. I've been in communication with them every day uh, in just letting them know about the concerns that are coming out of the Carter School community and that it's very, very important for them to communicate that to the leadership in Raleigh so that they have an understanding of you know what is happening boots on the ground kind of style. Um, we are in communication with the uh, our, our uh, charter school friendly legislators to um, get some things in motion. You know we understand that it's important that if schools close, we need to know how that's going to affect the calendar, how it's going to affect um, paying employees and testing and all of that. So uh, we're working with our legislators to um, address those needs and just want you to know that um, not only are we in communication with our legislators, but we are also in communication with the Office of Charter Schools and DPI. I was just on a conference call yesterday with Dave Machado and Joe Maimoni, who works in the superintendent's office, and uh, they wanted me to let you know that they're meeting every day to, um, to address concerns and strategize solutions. Uh, we're might be a little bit behind the eight ball on getting some of those solutions rolling, but um, I just want you to know that, you know, I'm, I'm pushing every day to make sure that your needs are known. And if you don't know how to get in touch with me, please email me at Rhonda at ncpublicchargers.org or call me anytime, day or night, 336-669-9996. I'm here for you. That's what I get paid to do. It is my honor and my pleasure to do that. And uh, I, you know, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. Thank Thanks. you, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Rhonda. And uh, so Rhonda will be around to answer any other questions. We'll make sure we've got her info and then, and then um, we have a bunch of school leaders. So in the chat box, you can tell us where you're, you know, where you're coming from. I know we have someone all the way from Murphy. Uh, we've got Mary Jo uh, from the Learning Center in Murphy. And we've got, we got someone from the beach. So Kelly Riley is on us as well. And we got about 17 leaders on. So, and then we got maybe one of the most important uh, people on the call right now, Lisa Gordon-Stella, who is a legal expert. And maybe she represents some of your schools or you've uh, seen her at, at a conference. She's always willing to, to really at her expertise and Lisa is being a former charter school board member um, and and is and is the uh, co-president uh, of the um, association so Lisa why don't you just give us a couple minutes and she's been sending out some great emails which I've added into this document as well so go ahead Lisa take the floor. oh my pleasure good morning and thanks for everyone who's on the call I know it's a Saturday and um, People would like to take some time out, but this is a crazy time we're living in. Um, let me just add on one thing to Rhonda, um, uh, 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 what Rhonda said. We're going to, the association is going to put up all the resources 
meaning we've gotten guidance from, I, I've been writing guidance. We have the National Alliance that's been got, um, writing guidance, anything from DPI that has come out. And we're gonna put that in a, uh, some form on our website so that any charter leader can go, regardless of whether they are members of the association. We of course love everyone to be a member, but we, this is a, just like the um, New York Times is letting everyone have free coronavirus uh, information at this point. We're gonna make sure that everyone has whatever they need. Um, and this way we know you're getting inundated with a ton of information. Um, if you've missed something, we'll catch it and have your back. So. Um, I know Rhonda's going to put that together and get that um, going in the next couple days if we can. Um, but we are sending out regular information. I've been trying to send out updates in digestible forms um, because I know everyone's getting inundated um, and we'll continue to do that. Um, and I'm happy to have uh, Tom and, and Rhonda also push out what I send. I send to my, my client listserv and then I, um, which includes Rhonda and Tom so that everyone gets it and they can move, um, use it going forward. Um, so a few things I wanted to just make sure everyone was aware of. Um, under North Carolina law, which is every state is different, we all decisions about school closure or about closure of businesses or anything like that are local decisions. That's how our emergency power statute reads. So even though the governor's called the state of emergency, his power to close schools does not come into effect until it is shown that the local locals are not able to handle it or a situation and an emergency has reached, reached a certain point that requires unified action. So right now, the message has been from state the state government that everything is a local decision. Um, being a local decision, the statute also reads that any school closure, ha that decision has to be made by the school board. It's specifically in the statute um, in North Carolina, um, the UNC school government actually pushed out a question answer yesterday. And that was one of the answer, one of the areas that they were um, um, talked about was the, the need that when you close a school, that is a calendar change. It cannot be done by your school leader. It has to be done by the board of directors. It can be done in an emergency meeting. These, this is an emergency situation. So a board meeting can be scheduled, you know, with very little notice. Um, under the statute, but it, just so you know that the board has to make that decision. Um, one of the things that I am hearing from lots of schools, and, and when we talked with Dave Machado, I was on that call yesterday with Dave and, and Joe Mamoni, is um, the fact that when you're making these decisions, you're thinking about not just you know public health is one thing you're thinking about, you're also thinking about your student population and the concerns that parents may have, especially if your districts are, are, are making decisions to move spring break or close. Um, that was one of the things that has come, came up in Durham and we had a Durham collaborative meeting about that because we've got districts all around us that are closing and our parents are very concerned and are gonna stop sending their kids to school. The, the direction from the state has been, if you have to be very mindful of your community, if that's what you are seeing, you need to act appropriately and appropriately maybe you need to close. Um, because parents are going to tell you we've got i've got schools where parents have you have people who are vulnerable at home you have um parents who have vulnerable jobs so for example my husband is works at duke if he has a known exposure he cannot work for two weeks 
So, and that is not good for our healthcare system. He's got to be able to work. He's, a, he's the person that's going to innovate these people who have respiratory failure. So, you know, these are concerns that you have to think about as a school, because it's not just about the decision for your population. It's about the community at large and parents maybe start making their own decisions of just not sending their kid because they can't afford an exposure. Um, the other thing to think about is if you have a student or a faculty member or a parent that comes on your property and they test positive, you may not be able to clean your school by yourself. Your state department, I mean your state department, your health department may require you engage a hazmat crew. And even if they don't, um, I, I was on a webinar yesterday, an emergency national webinar on the employer, employer laws that are implicated by coronavirus. And one of them is OSHA. OSHA guidelines may dictate that you have to hire someone to clean your school. And if you don't hire someone, you're gonna have to outfit the people cleaning your school with hazmat gear. So this is costly. So be aware that there are implications to, to everything that is going on that could you know, impact your school. Um, and I know you do. And then, then the other questions that I've been getting, and I'm going to send out um, guidance next week to schools. I just want to sort of pace the guidance because this is not a top priority right this minute, but I'm going to send out guidance on what you need to be concerned about looking um, for at your employees. Um, there are lots of, of laws that get implicated with, with the coronavirus um, and that, uh, that are not going to just exist today, but that are going to permeate even once we get over this um, spike. And that's going to be your ADA, your FMLA, you've got OSHA to deal with. And then what are you going to do about um, your pay to employees and what you should think about in terms of contracting for the next year? So again, I know that's not at the forefront of everyone's mind, but I'm thinking about it for you and I will be sure to push out um, guidance on that. Um, I'm also working on updating my employee contract template for charter schools um, to make sure that it can weather these types of very unusual events because frankly, every time we have a new situation, we have to learn from it and make sure that we're stronger going forward. Um, so that's all I have to say. I realize I said a lot and I'm a fast talker. I am always available. Um, you can find me through Rhonda. You can find me through Tom. You can find me on my website. Um, you can shoot me an email. And um, I have been available to schools basically 24-7 at this point. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, thanks so much, Lisa. I'm really, really important you know, pieces just to even think about there. And I've added your email address and your website uh, here into, um, into this uh, document. And I also added in the, uh, uh, the attachments down here in this uh, folder of collected resources, any, any attachments. So I think you sent out some, um, you know, documents about, you know, uh, contracts or like field trips and stuff like that. So I put all that language uh, in here. So, and so next, you know, like a big question is, yeah, go ahead. Tom, I realized I forgot one important thing, which hey, is super silly at this point. But remember that anytime you are talking or your board is talking about these issues, it is not clear whether those would be open to public record. Yeah. So just, again, I, I don't want you to not speak because of that, but it's just, you know, as we're on this call, it's being recorded. Every time folks are talking, I have told my schools, like, have a meeting rather than have a phone have then then start texting and emailing each yeah. other if you're getting into the weeds because first of all you shouldn't be doing that but more importantly those are potentially 
items that you can have exposed to the public if anyone wanted to know. Um, and that includes parents who we all know can get a little on edge um, when these things happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when uh, people are uncertain, they look for uh, security and, and, uh, and they're reaching out for hope, right? So the more that you can inform and communicate to your uh, community, uh, the better that you're working towards it. And that's why I've invited, um, you know, Ellie Schollmeyer, who's, who's the executive director of the Explorer School and also Olivia uh, from the Steve Joyner team. So why don't you guys take maybe the next part and just talk about, uh, you know, what, what you know, technology might you know, school look like? Ellie, you did such a great job. Uh, the Explorer School uh, board voted yesterday um, to, um, to, to uh, uh, postpone school up to a spring break, but have a digital learning uh, platform for all uh, students uh, starting next week. So it'd be great for Olivia and for Ellie to take these next two uh, sections here and talk about what that looks like. Um, before I jump in there on that, Tom, I just wanted to ask a follow-up to Lisa. Lisa's been a tremendous help this last uh, week with helping us work through our decision-making process. But as you talk, Lisa, about the school closing, one of the things we talked about is once we do transition to digital learning, can our staff still come back into the building? Mm -hmm. And when we talked the other day, Lisa, you were saying they can still come in and do, you know, if they need to get resources, use the school equipment. But now that I'm listening to the risk of the OSHA guidelines and requiring a hazmat crew, if someone, let's say they come in and they work over the weekend and then they leave and then they are, find out they're positive, then we still would have that requirement. Should we be shutting down the building completely that no one can go in? I, I think that that is a, more of a remote risk. Um, and because this, once school's closed, it's, it's going to reduce your obligations potentially. Um, I would rather have teachers have resources at this point um, and be able to do their jobs. And frankly, a lot of schools, I'm advising schools to still allow teachers to be able to go into work if they need, if they need to go into work. Um, some schools are actually staying, um, keeping um, certain parts of their school open for um, meals. So they're not, you know, you're not getting rid of the entire risk. You're just mitigating it. Um, and so I, I would say keep, if you need to, if teachers need to come in, they need to come in. The other, uh, the other thing that I've been talking with a number of schools about is what about your EC kids? Can you tell them it's a, they can get their, some of their learning, even when the school is closed, maybe coming in in certain blocks of time. Um, we are not sure that we're going to get, that schools are going to get credit for that, but schools are offering that and there is no problem offering that. You can't require it. And of course, if a parent says, well, we can't do it for X, Y, and Z, you know, you're going to have to go with that. But um, schools are trying to sort of be prepared to be able to have, um, have met some of their EC requirements because um, it, it's a challenge. And the guidance from the um, Department of Education has not been super, I mean, it's, it's been fine, but it's not answering some of the more difficult questions of whether learning for EC kids is going to be able to be achieved during school closure that's going to meet the requirements um, of their plans. And um, so if you want to provide or try to provide it, there's no, we don't know if it's going to pass muster, but it's worth a shot if you can do it. 
Um, it's the same thing, uh, Ellie, with distance learning. There's a lot of questions on what that's gonna look like. I can tell you Durham Public Schools isn't doing anything over the closure because they don't, at this point, they have not found the capacity to serve every student. And if they can't serve every student, then they're not, then they're not gonna serve anybody. Um, I'm supposed to get an update on that um, next week because they move spring break to next week. But um, they, they just have a 23% of Durham County's uh, kids don't have internet connectivity. How do you teach a third of, a fourth of your population? But and the, these are individual decisions, but they're just things to think about. I think to the extent you can give kids things to do when they're not in school, I think that's good because what are they going to be doing otherwise? But we aren't sure, depending on your population, you know, um, some schools might have less kids in that prop with that problem and they can send them home and they can get them hotspots. But if you've got a school, particularly a school with a high uh, free and reduced lunch or, or uh, economically disadvantaged kids, it's going to be hard to achieve the same goals. Yeah, Lisa, I can actually in with some additional information that was released yesterday. Um, a lot of the major um, data companies signed an FCC agreement yesterday. So they are waiving late fees. They're not closing internet that currently has it. And they've also opened up free installation and service for 60 days for low-income families. Um, and I have linked the phone numbers and websites there in the document that is in the block, um, the Steve Joyner Consulting. Um, it's right there on the top. Um, local libraries also have hotspots for, um, in some cases, so that's another option for those families that are in need that do not have internet access currently. Yeah, awesome, Olivia. Yeah. yeah, I saw that Comcast has a 60 day free piece, but this still takes the parent. Spectrum does actually, as well. Yeah, and then yeah. Spectrum still takes a parent and, you know, doing some of the work, but I love the document you put together. And again, she's uh, referring to the Google Doc. And if you scroll down into um, the uh, digital learning section, uh, there's a whole section that uh, she put uh, together called Steve Joyner Consulting. Um, so anything else that you want to add, you know, any, any new, you know, learning? Um, Olivia, that you've uh, learned through this process, and then you know, combined with Ellie, I know you guys work with uh, the Explorer School. So, what are the conversations you know going on to turn the Explorer School into a digital learning school? Yeah. Also, in that document, that um, there are there's a Google Doc that has been created by educators. Actually, there are about 128 um, resources there that have been open for free that are normally subscription based. Mm. Um, some of those are free trials for two weeks. Some go up to 90 days of free access. Um, so take a look at that for anyone that needs resources. Um, you know, Discovery Ed is opened up to be free, for example. Um, and then other questions that we've kind of been getting are, you know, content filtering at home is a big question. Um, a lot of families that do have internet access at home don't realize that content filtering does not always follow the student home on their school devices. Um, so that's a big thing to be mindful of. I've put some tips in there for, for parents. There's some free um, free software out there that they can use and set up at home. It's actually pretty easy. It's called OpenDNS. Um, and it actually has a one-click button that will block content. Um, so most people don't know when you get a router from your internet service provider, it comes with the lowest set on it. Um, so that's a shock for 
some of the parents. Um, Kestrel Heights actually had a parent earlier in the week who was tested out um, at home and was like, oh my gosh, I can get to, you know, porn sites on my, my son's laptop at home. Um, that's something to be aware of if you're going to digital learning, um, that that will be a bit of an issue. Yeah, um, if parents are yeah, awesome. Go ahead, Ellie. Thanks. So Olivia. on our end, you know, we felt like it was really important to be proactive and get ahead of the curve because um, of what I've seen worldwide. And also we needed to make some decisions because we had a group of students and teachers that were going to be traveling to Japan and also learning from the experience my daughter had in transitioning to digital learning and teaching with her students in Italy. So our school is fortunate to not have as high of a free and reduced lunch population as some of the county schools. So we were able to be a little bit more nimble in our decision-making process. Our teachers also have been actively using Google Classroom in most of the grades. So pretty much from uh, third and fourth grade up through eighth grade. So they're pretty well prepared with transitioning to the digital learning platforms. Um, the way we are implementing the change is that next week we are closing to students Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're allocating that time as professional teacher workdays so we can bring the remaining teachers that are not as familiar with digital learning tools, um, holding some professional development with them and supporting one another and giving them planning time, and then transitioning on Thursday to our digital learning um, implementation with students working remotely from home. Um, it's going to probably, I'm sure, be a bumpy start, and we recognize that as our families and students adjust and our teachers adjust to a new learning model. Um, it's definitely going to take some time, and we also have to recognize that children at home, we might be thinking, oh, they're going to have all the time in the world to do all this work. Well, they may also have other responsibilities because their parents may need to still be at work, so they might be caring for their siblings. We also have to recognize that um, they may not have computers for every student, and we're trying to manage which levels are having their uh, synchronous time with the class at different times throughout the day so that all grade levels aren't trying to use computers at once. Um, yesterday, before students left, we made sure that any students who um, did not have a computer at home left with a Chromebook and were set up and ready to go. Um, for those students that were absent, we will probably next week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday have some time where families can come in and pick up laptops so that they can have the resources needed. Um, we're hooking up our FNRL, uh, FRL students with those free internet resources and um, did collections to send food home. We've collected gift cards for food stores. I also wanted to make sure all school leaders saw the business and finance notice that came out this morning. Um, there was something about a waiver that we're gonna be able to apply for if we need to provide meals during this time. Uh, so even if you're, the way I read it is even if you're not on the national school lunch program, you'll be able to apply for reimbursement. So we're gonna look into that as well. Um, so those are some, and I think one of the things that's really important during times like this is to over communicate. It's really important to keep in touch with your staff to give them as much information as possible throughout the process, as well as your families. Um, so we're trying to do that to make sure everyone knows what we're doing and knows who to reach uh, with questions. 
but it's definitely going to be a big learning curve as we enter this new world. Yeah, and I can say from a board member perspective, I'm a board member at the Explorer School, and when I first kind of got the notice, I was like, come on, really? But listening to Ellie talk through every step that the staff has, the staff has been talking about over the last couple of weeks in preparation and starting to prepare their school and how they were going to educate kids, it was a unanimous decision. It was very easy for the board to make that call. So, um, you know, Ellie, and then you had, I don't know if you mentioned this, you had sent out a survey, right, to identify who didn't have technology at home and you and, and and you just did that through your through like the blast system or how did you how did you identify who didn't have the computer um we just did a simple google form and sent it to all families and had ensured that everyone completed it and reached out especially you know we work with our school counselor who has close contact with all our free and reduced lunch students mm -hmm. we knew those students um but we just did a google form so everyone could complete it um, Could you send us a link to that Google form so we can add it to this document, Ellie? Sure. Thank yeah. you. Um, the other things that started to occur last week that made me want to uh, be a lot more proactive about implementing this next week is I had a couple situations with staff members that were potentially exposed because of their parents. And when I called the Wake Health uh, Department, I did not feel the level of confidence that I needed with um what the next steps were one of the persons that i spoke with it was their first day so um yeah we, we did have two people who then self-isolated and right would, we were expecting more yeah yeah well i appreciate you uh, sharing with us ellie and uh, being on this call so when we when we open up for everybody um you know if you have a question for ellie about as a you know she's ahead of school she had to make this call we've got 500, you know, almost students, and 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 uh, it's a it's a significant decision um, to almost, you know, uh, you know, shift school, what school looks like at Explorers over the next, you know, 30 days. And you know, you have to remember if anybody's seen Forrest Gump, um, if you if you remember Bubba Gump Shrimp, right, was the only shrimping boat that blasted through the hurricane. It became the strongest, most powerful shrimping boat company. Great ideas come from disruption right and so this this you know take this opportunity to look at your education plan and how could we serve kids differently uh, right how you know like can we prepare and train our teachers differently you know uh, success is outside of your comfort zone so as we're dealing with this issue you can also look at it as a great opportunity to look at your school and look at your staffing so and that's why I, yeah and that's why i invited um acadia to come in so we got amanda and then we're going to finish up with the liability piece the insurance people so amanda from uh, from acadia you want to give us just a little um you know short uh, brief overview from from a finance and student services uh, perspective please can you hear me yep you got it hi everyone um this is amanda with acadia north star um, right now, we are just making ourselves available to the clients in whatever aspect they need. Um, I am assuming that there will be class changes, possibly, and um, how we receive data from the schools, I think, is probably our biggest concern with schools that have closed and um, just being available for whatever our clients need us to be available for, um, making sure that we still, you know, receive and, and be able to offer them information on a timely basis. 
Yeah, Amanda, what are your thoughts on it? I don't know if you do a lot of this, but you know, the, you know, the monthly PMR and how we're invoicing, you know, counties, you know, just, that just kind of popped in my head. Has, has there been any conversation? You might not have that answer, but that's something I just thought about it. You know, Ellie, I don't know if you guys address that. You know, what does that look like if there's no school for the month? How does that impact uh, the uh, PMR uh, process? That I know, uh, Sarah Crane McCracken, who's over our information division, she's meeting with her managers to kind of discuss that going forward. Um, but that is one potential issue. Mm -hmm. um, but again, as we receive information, we'll be communicating that with our clients and, and we hope for the same in return. Yeah, that's great. So, so I, the way we're looking at it is that instruction is continuing, so we're counting the learning days as school work days that the only days we would be closed are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for the work days. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And I know there was a question I saw it in the chat about, you know, not every new school may have the access for the Chromebook. So I know uh, from a school that, you know, I'm an interim principal at in uh, Durham, we started to create student uh, packets. And so I reached out to Office Depot um, if you have a local Chamber of Commerce card or if you have an ASCD membership, you have a discounted Office Depot and I was able to get three cents a copy. So we were able to make reading packets and we're making math uh, packets and everything for them to be able uh, to go home. So it's a little bit of practice work and obviously you work with your teachers to make sure it's something that students can do independently through a review and not uh, brand new material. So. If you don't have access to internet um, or there's not enough, you know, Chromebooks, you know, sending something home, um, you know, might also be. So, so talk with your local print shops and let them know the situation and maybe, you know, maybe they can help you uh, get that done in a, in a fast way. So, awesome. All right. How about uh, Steve? So Steve uh, Griffith from the Insurance of People of North Carolina. So liability wise, Steve, what are some things that uh, school leaders need to be thinking about and thinking through here? Steve still with us? Um, oh, I, I thought I Hadley was on the line too. His yeah, daughter. go ahead. Hadley, Hadley or Steve? Well, while we wait for them to come in, uh, Lisa, there was a question in the chat box and Katie, let me know if there's any more about when you, when you have this conversation with your board, open session, closed session, obviously there's nine legal reasons to go in the closed session. I don't know what you know, parts of this conversation may fit on those nine. And also remember emergency meetings, they just need notice. There's no time frame on emergency meeting notice, but a, a special meeting needs a 48 hours. So if you can talk a little bit about that as we see if we can't get Hadley and Steve sure. on, that, that, that would be great. Sure. Um, yeah, I actually was just refamiliarizing myself because that's not a that's not usually the lens that I'm looking at the open meeting laws. So as I read them, um, there really isn't a specific exception for a for a pandemic. There is for terrorism, um, but there's not for pandemic. So your discussion to so one yes, emergency meeting is what I would use for anything like this. The those meetings provided your bylaws allow for. Um, electronic communication, meaning telephone communication, like a Zoom meeting. You can hold a Zoom meeting. You do have to give public access to that, that, that number. Um, and um, and you, there is no time requirement for emergency. The discussion of what you're going to do, whether you're gonna modify your schedule, move your schedule, keep things the same, whatever it is, 
that is all going to be open session discussion. What would be closed session discussion is if you have a specific situation regarding a student or a parent or a teacher or a volunteer um, or a vendor that's come in and now you know how corona, whatever it is. All of that can take place in closed session um, because those would be confidential because they're asked to specific people. So it's sort of like the same rules that, that exist if you're talking about policies. If you're talking about school policies as generally, that's open session. If you're talking about it specifically where it might involve a particular employee or student, then you can do it in closed session. Um, and then the other way that you can make it a closed session discussion is to have your attorney in the closed session and you can fall under the attorney client um, discussion, but you can't use that legal advice unless you have an attorney actually on the call. Um, so, so that would be another way if you feel like there's a lot you need to talk about and you need to think about implications, you can have your attorney and then it would be considered a closed session discussion, which is what I'm gathering has happened with a lot of the school districts that have closed. Um, so I hope that answers folks question on open meeting and closed meeting. The other um, couple things that um, I wanted to bring up and actually I had a question for Steve, but I'm going to bring it up to the group to think okay. about. Okay, is um, so with charter schools, you have already received your your money is based on your per, per pupil, not the number of days you're in session. And so that that per pupil is money that you have through the fiscal year, which ends June 30th. So the the advice that I am getting from um, uh, from attorney groups on paying employees is unless you are in a really bad financial way, you should be paying even your non-exempt hourly employees during this crisis. You've already budgeted that they would be paid anyway. Um, if you are not able to pay them, you they will be able to apply for unemployment. And I'm talking hourly employees, not salary employees. Um, you will be able, they will be able to apply for unemployment. I was just looking at the news and it looks like the um, house has passed a coronavirus bill, which will allow for paid leave um, for, it looks like two weeks of paid leave um, and then up to six weeks of leave. I don't, ha I don't have the specifics and that hasn't passed the Senate yet, um, but the, uh, the House has passed it. Trump has said he will sign it um, today. So, or that today he said he would sign it, but you know, we don't know how what the ultimate package is gonna look like, but be that as it may, they can still apply for unemployment. Um, I have not heard about what North Carolina State might be doing to change their unemployment regulations to allow for broadened um, benefits or heightened benefits. We have, I have not heard, if I do, I certainly will push that out there. Um, as to your salaried employees, if you have teachers that do any work on any day, during a week, even a week you're closed, they of course have to be paid. Um, and um, you know, it, we all realize that this is affecting everybody and, and oftentimes, you know, your employees are the ones that are going to be significantly affected by them. Um, people, and this is my question for Steve, I'm getting a lot of concern okay. from people and it's not, this is sort of brought it to a head about um, it, the impact of their, will they be getting, their unemployment be going up, will their workers comp be going up uh, potentially due to this. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, um, and piggyback on what Ellie said earlier, so um, Durham County, uh, the, the public school system is opening up um, hubs for any student 18 or younger 
to get breakfast and lunch. It does not matter what school they attend, public, private, charter, it's open to everybody. Um, and that is probably going to be the way most, if any further districts close, that they will offer that type of, um, that type of um, program. And then lastly, Orange County is actually taking their buses that they have and parking them in areas where it's known that people may not have access to the internet and creating hotspots. So um, there are lots of creative things that folks are thinking about and how to serve those kids that are most at risk for not learning during this time and how we might bridge that gap. So I'll, I'll leave it to, to the next group. Okay. And y'all, I'm unmuted so you can hear me now. This is Steve Griffin with Insurance People North Carolina. Yes, sir. Okay. And Hadley, you're on the call too? I am. All righty. So thank y'all uh, for the opportunity for Hadley and I to uh, speak with you and discuss with you uh, the insurance-related topics because it's uh, going to be very impactful. And Tom, I would probably equate this to insurance is always kind of reactive, as we all know. Um, President Bush once signed the American Disabilities Act in 91, and then all of a sudden, uh, employment practice liability came into play, age, race, gender discrimination, sexual harassment. So the insurance industry had to respond through a policy. We had the terrorist attack 2001. We had to respond with terrorism. You all have that coverage now in your school policy. So this is going to be something that uh, I think mammoth like that. And so in our industry, we're going to need to respond and fill in those gaps. So basically, I would think the insurance issues kind of that we're all um, facing right now, uh, Lisa brought up two, uh, workers' comp and un unemployment, uh, unemployment, as you know, through the government. And so hopefully through regulation, that will be, and, and legislation, that'll be mitigated. Uh, the workers' comp is, is, is an issue because did you contract uh, this uh, virus at work? And if so, is potential coverage there. Um, another one is the general liability. Um, did you become injured? Uh, did you contact this virus through uh, work-related? So that could come into play. Um, question Hadley and I are getting a lot from our non-school clients is the business interruption, the business income, which we're gonna have to work through that and figure that one out, particularly in the healthcare industry and the hospitality industry, uh, the, you know, the service industries, the restaurants. Um, and they also the cyber is going to be impacted, uh, people working from their, um, from their home. Do you want to speak about that? Sure. Yeah. We've, we've gotten some bulletins from companies that as people work from home, we believe the attackers overseas will try and have more phishing scams, trying to get into your software to shut it down. Um, it's a lucrative business for them. They, they can collect bitcoins. Um, so down the line, once your teachers are home and safe, um, just maybe send an email asking them to be vigilant about opening um, spam emails. Um, that, that I know that will be the last thing y'all will want to think about as you're keeping everyone home. Um, one other thing I wanted to add in terms of your health insurance, um, a lot of companies are pushing the telemedicine right now, um, and that is available through Blue Cross and United. Um, so no matter who you're on, you, you should most definitely have a telemedicine option. 
I know my doctor's office sent out an email last week encouraging us to use that instead of showing up. Um, and I would also just say that to encourage your employees to, to use those options of their health insurance y'all provide to them. Um, there are also typically resources through your benefits package for an employee assistance program. If you have staff members and teachers who um, would like to speak with a professional um, therapist or psychologist during this time, it's a very stressful time. Those services are often provided through employee assistance programs through your benefits packages. Um, this is all available through the Charter School Association's new benefit package that's been rolled out. Um, so if anyone has questions on getting that rolled out for their teachers and staff, um, just let us know. But hopefully that is something that is already available for your, for your teachers and staff through your school benefit packages. Yeah, thank you so um, much. Yep. Good, Steve. Lisa, uh, what Tom had one more was Lisa with regard to directors and officers liability. We call it school board legal liability. That's basically the directors and officers liability policy for school. Um, you know, there's potential claim there for the school's failure to, um, you know, if they get um, sued over allegations or mismanagement or failed oversight to reduce the exposure to coronavirus. So that's a that's something I have not read in some of our information. So that's where that board has to decide, you know, what that risk is and how much they want to do transfer the risk and not have students show up and their employees. So that so there's always the potential claims, but that's something we had seen in some of our information. Yeah, thanks Stephen Hadley for being on. And then, so you can reach them at uh, the insurance people of North Carolina and, you know, Steve or, you know, Hadley, what's the best email or contact information for you guys if, you know, someone had a follow-up question? Um, so real simple, I'm Steve at inspeople.com and Hadley is Hadley at inspeople.com. And INS is just abbreviated for insurance. Great. So it's Steve you. at inspeople.com. Cool. I see Katie already typing into the Google Doc. I love it. I love technology. So, okay. uh, you know, Katie's tracking everybody's questions that are being put in the chat box. So our uh, business leaders, hold on. We've got a couple of school leaders that had to make some challenging decisions. So I'm going to, uh, we've got Alex Quigley, uh, who, you know, some of you may know is a charter school advisory board chair, uh, but Alex has been a charter school leader in the Durham area uh, over the last, you know, 10 uh, plus years. Uh, so he wants to, he's going to share some thoughts. Um, and then we got Sandy Brighton from uh, Socrates Academy. So she's going to be after and then we'll and we'll continue to open it up. So um, Alex, welcome to uh, the call and and and, and uh, would love to hear some of your thoughts and the uh, decision making process that you guys went through um, and the work that you and your team have done to uh, prepare um, a, a population of students that really need school every single day. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Tom. Uh, and I just want to I'm just gonna talk. There, I got two things that I want to. I, I will. I will definitely re answer that as well. And I just two things that I want to talk talk about, if, if it's all right. Um, and I want to be clear. You know, I'm not speaking. I'm speaking as, in my opinion, not as this is not something like the charter school advisory board has, has given any had any discussion about or share. This is not their opinion. I'm speaking for them. Just my own personal opinion. First, uh, I think it's important that we as leaders have to articulate for the policymakers and the general public that there are 
huge differences in this this effort to have digital learning be a real thing. And you know, I am super impressed and humbled to hear what Explorus is doing and sitting there kind of jotting things mentally down that I could have done. But at the same time, I have a we have a radically different population. I mean, everything that I say to parents has got to be translated in Spanish because over 50% of our families uh, speak Spanish. Uh, the reliability and availability of, of, of internet is so different. And uh, just even getting information about do, what internet do you have? What devices do you have at home? All of that, those pieces are just incredibly difficult. And I think more representative of what is the case in, in, in a, lot, uh, a lot of traditional public schools. And, and I, both from the charter side and the district side, I worry, I have this kind of lingering concern right now that, you know, not just charter schools, but districts are, are saying, oh, we're going to be out and then we're going to have a week of digital learning. And my, my opinion of that is that uh, in, in a lot of situations, that is a farce and it is a, there's a gap between those that are, that are, that are most vulnerable and low income and what they have access to is radically different than, you know, I would say my own children who have super high speed internet, we have multiple computers, rooms that they can go into and be quiet. I know of families that have, you know, six and seven kids living in a two bedroom apartment. That is not going to be a viable, I don't care if you put a hotspot in their room, the, the, the likelihood that that's a viable learning environment for them is, uh, is just, um, it's, it's just beyond, uh, you know, it's not real. It's, it's just not real. And I, I, my concern is that I, it's not that I want to excuse students and say, hey, we're not going to learn anything. That's not what I'm talking about. But I worry that if we put up this 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 front that that there's a bunch of learning happening we run the risk of policymakers being able to wash their hands of of waving of of waving uh days of addressing the 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 testing issues that they're going to need to address if we're out for an extended period of time so i just want to make sure that while we are the message is twofold we are doing everything we can but there's a deep equity issue here that we have to say loud and clear. And we also just can't replace the incredible, impactful value of having teachers and kids together in a, in a physical place mm -hmm. like that. And, and if you're not running an, an existing virtual charter school, it is really hard in one week or four days to convert to a virtual charter school. And right. districts cannot do that either. And, and, and I'm sure Explorus is going to do that quicker and better than uh, than anyone. But that that they are small, they are nimble. And what they're able to do is is super unique. And my son, I'm on the board of Research Triangle High School. And my son goes to school there and they are fully set up as a to do digital learning days. They do them all the time. And I still am there. There are times where I'm at really asking him, wait, isn't it a digital learning day? You know, and checking in, I have to tightly manage what he's done to make sure that it gets done. So I just think it's important that we, we do not let policymakers off the hook by, for, by making it seem like we went out of school for two to three weeks and the kids actually learned even remotely close to what they would learn previously. Yeah. Um, so so I, that's one, that's my one thing. I, I, that's, that's one thing that I just want to get on my soapbox about because I feel like we need to say this loud and clear. Um, awesome.
in terms of how we prepared, you know, I've been thinking about this for weeks and we've, we, we have been gone back and forth because we knew in order for, to ensure kids had access, we were going to have to send home Chromebooks. So we've been, we, we have kind of gone back and forth and all the, the benefits and, and, and negatives to, to doing that. And our first move was we said, we're going to put all our energy into high quality packets of student work that are going to be graded, that have to be done. I'll be communicating to parents over video, uh, text messaging, all of our, our me methods that we communicate. Those packets went home yesterday. We have been preparing for that for, for over a week. Letters had gone home previously and everything was run and ready to go yesterday. Uh, so that's kind of my first phase one is like, they have more than two weeks of work. And one of our weeks I've moved spring break. So right now, I actually think they have probably, uh, they have a lot of work. The kids almost passed out when they saw how much, how significant the packets were. Um, and we're going to communicate to parents in English and Spanish that they need to come back. They need, they are going to be graded uh, and not, not for quality, not for uh, accuracy, but, but completion and effort. And uh, that's kind of phase one. And now we're kind of looking at the possibility of distributing our Chromebooks if we need to go into that situation. But that is a very, that, that endeavor is, is, is there's, it's just rife with obstacles and barriers. And I, I don't want, I hate to say that because I'm a person that wants to remove barriers, but I also have to, I have to live in, in reality for, for what many of the students that I'm, you know, their home environment is. Uh, so, so we're also considering when we come back, you know, extending the school day, and, and, and part of that will depend on what the state, the waivers, if, if that happens. That's my issue number one. My second thing is, if for charter leaders that are on the phone, I, I think that, um, and again, this is just my opinion, I think this is an opportunity to step out on your own if your district has not closed and make a decision, bold, be bold, be decisive, and close, close your school. Uh, I was on a call with that some of you might have been on with uh, staff from the governor's office and superintendents yesterday. I found that call to be uh, woefully inadequate and uh, people were making comparisons to the United States to Singapore. Uh, to me, that is just a ridiculous comparison. We, we do not have the testing capacity that Singapore had. They also went through SARS and they knew how to respond to this. Not to mention, our, you're talking about us, basically one city on an island. Uh, to, to say that they, Singapore didn't have to close schools uh, and that that is a ra kind of one of the reasons as an example of, of closing schools is not the solution. I just, I, 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 was, I was baffled by that. And the, the reality is, is that we cannot test we, at the volume that we need to, to identify who actually has the virus. So we are kind of left with more uh, antiquated solutions in less strategic or surgical solutions. So we're gonna have to move to social distancing, which, and, and the other rationale brought up on the call was, well, short-term closures aren't, aren't really, haven't been demonstrated to provide, uh, to be impactful. I don't think these are gonna be short-term closures. I think we're gonna be out of school and I think we should begin preparing and thinking about being out of school for over four weeks, for four weeks or, or more. Uh, and, and I think the time to make the to make the decision is now to flatten the curve, as everybody's saying. I I, I personally agree with that. And I, I I literally was just at the grocery store, had a parent stop me in the parking lot, uh, or a person stop me in the parking lot because I was talking to the guy putting groceries in my car, 
and said, yeah, I'm a principal. I think we're going to be out for a lot longer than people are saying. This woman and her husband stopped me in the parking lot and they were like, I heard you said you were a principal. I'm a teacher in Wake County. She was crying. She's, I'm pregnant. I am beyond myself that I'm being asked to come to school tomorrow mm-hmm. or next week. What can we do? How can, who do I call? What, do, like begging me, asking me to try. I was just like, this is, this is crazy. And I think that, um, I think the governor needs to act, but if the governor and our leaders are not going to take decisive action, I'm really proud of Durham and Chapel Hill and Orange County. But I think you as a charter leader should step out, make the decision, close the school, if you need to bring people in for a couple of days to make copies or to whatever it is, or, or but I, I would encourage you to act now. And I think you will be looked upon favorably by uh, parents and your school community. Yeah, thanks, Alex. That was, yeah, awesome stuff. And yeah, Wake County as of now, I just did see that Lisa had, uh, had a posted 12 states have pretty much shut schools down who have less work. So we're gonna bring Lisa back in in a second. Uh, but another school leader who had to close uh, their school, Sandy Brighton, is on with us from Socrates Academy from Charlotte. So she wants to share um, as well. Sandy, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your um, experience and, 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 and how you came to the uh, decision? Yes. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you well. Okay. So it was um, a really tough decision. <laughs> but um, we happened to have our board meeting at the right time. It just happened to be the second Wednesday of the month when we were at a regular, regularly scheduled meeting um, to have these conversations and what, when we would decide officially that it was time, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, the board and the leaders at the meeting just decided that if we heard of confirmed cases and because there was so little out there as to what's the appropriate incubation time and um we actually were referring to an article that i'll be happy to um it was a research article that i'll be happy to share that talked about um you know the referring back to cases and whatnot that 14 days yeah, within five days, someone should have um, shown the, um, within 14 days, somebody should have shown signs. Um, so knowing that we have had so many students and parents and staff who could have potentially had exposure and within 14 days would show signs or symptoms, we we made that decision that it was because we didn't want to take the risk. And um, if that same day, there were two confirmed cases in Mexico County. Um, and then we know that we have students and staff um, and parents who travel. And we created a um, travel form that we actually modeled after another school for parents to fill out for us if they had been to areas where there's children have been exposed um, and if they would self-quarantine and they started sending in those documents and we were just shocked at how much potential exposure that our school family could have had. So um, we made the decision, we closed on Friday and we did have our teachers come in on Friday to sit down and we had already proactively started a platform for learning behind the scenes that we were asking teachers to start plugging into and um, yesterday, the teachers were all in working in their grade levels and 
planning away and posting links to everything, um, printing whatever they could, and um, to prepare for our online learning or our distance learning, because as many have shared, it's not all online. Um, the most challenging would be students who don't have access to internet or the computers. Um, but we also sent a survey to all of our parents um, and asking them to uh, contact their teachers if they did not have access so that we could work with them to prepare. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. I mean, a challenging, challenging time. How many, how many students and families did you say? How many students and families do we have at our school? Yeah. Uh, uh, 742. Oh, my gosh, right. And Alex, right, and I, I brought, I was watching your social media post, Sandy, and I was like, this is such a great example of clear, concise, confident leadership, mm -hmm. communicating to the school community what's going to happen. And I've added your social media post communication to this document. So if people want to steal Sandy's language, you don't have to come up with it yourself. I hope that was okay, Sandy. That's all right, because I did the same thing. <laughs> you know, we, thankfully, other states had closed, and so, um, and some private schools in the area, and we, you know, just like all good education leaders do, you take something, you tweak it, and call hey, it. Hey, Dr. Hoover. Good morning. I'm in the middle of listening. I'm in the middle of listening Hold to, um. Hold on, Kate Alice. <laughs> I'm in Hi, the Kate Alice. Yeah, mute yourself, Kate. I'll say that. I got you. All right. I just muted Kate. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for being on. Go ahead, Sandy. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I was just saying we, we, we borrowed it from other people as well. <laughs> Tweaked it and it to meet our school needs. So I cannot take the credit for all of that wording. <laughs> and are you, are you the only school out there so far, Sandy, in the Charlotte area that has, that has closed down or is there more? Um, in Matthews, um, as far as I know, we're the, um, only charter. I, actually, I take that back. I think there's one other charter in this area and then the private schools in this area also closed. They had a lot of students come back from spring break and then, um, the university of North Carolina at Charlotte. Right. Um, and Alex, had, yeah, and Alex is noting here, uh, he's uh, sending me messages that on their Facebook page, they've communicated through video in English and in Spanish, right? So really rely on those resources that you have out there to be communicating to all your parents. And video is a great way to uh, be able to do it uh, because you can you know, show the composure and, and they can see you. Um, so if you go to Healthy Start Academy's Facebook page, you can get some examples uh, there as well. And I think Lisa wanted to chime in. And then Katie, I'm going to open the floor to you because you got a bunch of questions. I know you want to make sure that our experts have a chance to hear. Um, and then uh, you can uh, chime in uh, as well. So Lisa, go ahead. And then you've got the floor, Katie. Okay. Yeah, so um, so all I, what I want to do is uh, piggyback on what Alex had said earlier. And, um, and, and my, my hat is off to all the charter school leaders that are making these difficult decisions. I would call everyone's attention to, uh, there's an article that just came out in the LA Times and California has already shuttered schools for over 2 million students. The second largest district in the country, at, at Los Angeles, shut its doors. And the reason it did that, they, they are having this, they had the same conversation that all of you are having. The, what is the danger to our kids to be here versus the danger to society? 
And we cannot keep our schools open because society has not created adequate safety nets. What we have to do is work with what we have and work with your communities. Um, Rhonda has been reaching out to communities that where schools are closed to talk with food banks and social services. They are prepared for this. Our, while our health department is not, are typically not, our social services are very well aware of the crisis that families are going through. And because we have a state of emergency in, in North Carolina, resources can and will be shifted to provide for these families. And so I think we, we all have to admit that learning, we don't know how learning is gonna happen. Nobody knows. But what we can do is be, is be the leaders that we are and go out there and say, we are going to set the tone for our state. And, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a moment for charters to really be beacons for everybody else. And uh, even though it might be hard, um, you know, I think Alex's stories about what teachers are going through are, are, is really important. California, the governor is considering closing the entire the education system in part because the Association of Educators is begging them to because of their population. So be mindful of what you're in, you know, keeping schools open is, is, is a local decision, but this is an opportunity. Um, and and the, I will say the association is probably gonna come out with a position on what we think charters should do um, because we believe we need, to, we need to show leadership when our state does not appear to be looking at the big picture. Thanks, Lisa. So we're so we also we got one more leader, Tammy Finch, uh, who's who's in there in in Orange County, which has had the largest outbreak so far, I believe that's been noted in North Carolina. So Tammy wants to share her um, uh, um, experiences, and then and then we'll move to Katie. Go ahead, Tammy. You should be unmuted. If I unmuted the right person. Can you, yep, can you hear me all right now, Tom? Yep, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this has been a very stressful time. I think we can all resonate with sleepless nights over this. I really resonate with Alex's sentiments about the inequity of closing schools and agree about the difficulty in trying to actually provide education um, in some sort of distance way when, when we're not set up for that, when we're set up for um, others forms of education and that's part of what our charters charter schools are all about is doing things in a unique way and so um, I agree with Alex that I'm not I mean even with our best attempts we'll we'll only get part way there and so that's that's going to be a real question about how to make sure that our kids get educated um, what what our board decided to do was just last night rather than um, just close with no plans we are closing through Wednesday and teachers are coming in and we are going to try to figure out how to do this how to try to educate kids yeah. um, from a distance with what we have and then we are going to be keeping an eye on the situation and now you know when the waters are still relatively just murky and it's not the tidal wave yet you know as long as things kind of stay that way through the week we are going to bring kids in thursday and friday and train them on whatever it is we figured out that we're going to do um, we're going to attempt some digital learning um, using google classroom and uh, google hangouts meet has opened up to allow 
as I understand, you know, uh, several hundred thousand seats from one domain for free through July. That's a way to do video lessons. Um, we're going to try to figure that out. Um, but, you know, that's going to be uh, my weekend and the beginning of next week is trying to figure that out. And that's a huge learning curve. That's a lot of work going in um, on the front end. And, of course, we don't know if the state is going to recognize in the end our yeah. digital learning efforts as days. But we're going to give it our best shot. Yeah, that's a really great point about if you have not been teaching online and, you know, Katie and I, we're not great at it in any capacity, but if, <laughs> you know, I was trying to communicate that to the teachers yesterday at the school that I'm you know, intermittent principal at is that being able to connect with people through a virtual uh, platform is not something that is very natural for most. So what, what, you know, a teachers do you choose? How do you put the right ones in place? What can you teach online versus not, you know, and then going back to Alex's point, I mean, it's not going to be the best education for all, but we, you know, we, you know, we obviously have to do something. Well, thanks, Tammy, for sharing that. I like so that's a little bit of a different model. So they're shutting down for three days to let teachers learn and uh, produce materials and they get there and then bring students in to train them. Hopefully, as long as everything's clear on Thursday, yeah. and Friday. Um, so I like. Yeah, that. and then our school, mm -hmm. our school, luckily is heading into spring break after Friday, okay. and so we have a kind of this little grace period of spring break here. But as I think everyone has alluded to, we don't know what's coming. And so we wanted to try to try to get ready for pro potential prolonged, um, you know, closures if they if they have if we have to head in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tammy. Again. Hey, hey, Tom and Lisa, I was wondering if there is a, an application we need to complete for the state to apply for digital learning to count as education days or. Mm -hmm. Are we assuming that under these circumstances, there's going to be a general waiver? That's a, that's a great question. I, I had pulled up the student handbook uh, like earlier to take a read through that. Um, but that's a, that's a question we can pose if we don't have a response right now, Lisa and, you know, Rhonda. Uh -huh. But that's something that as they're talking to state leaders can maybe share that. We can put that back out to everybody. Go we have ahead. not heard. Um, we did bring that up when we spoke with Joe Mamoni and Shadow yesterday. The um, the best we're hearing is there. Once we figure out where we are, <laughs> there's going to be a discussion about waivers. Uh, and frankly, um, we actually don't even have any leadership. Our North Carolina legislature has decided to send itself home um, during our crisis. So wow. um, they're not working. And so, um, but we do have. Uh, the association lobbyist has already been in touch with um, leadership in the in our in our legislature about waivers and about modifications because no matter what happens with the, with the this number of schools that have already closed if no one ever if no one else closes we still have Durham Public Schools which serves thirty three thousand students that is closed um, Orange County and and Chapel Hill that have closed and and the countless other uh, schools that are closing so. There's going to be something we just don't know what um and we'll just have to take it as uh, i don't know if i'm unmuted yep i don't know up. if i'm on uh, uh i i i will i just want to mention that i've been in touch with some state board members about uh just one kind of advocating for for action and also very much putting this on the radar you know raising that exact issue right like how what is going to count what's not going to count also that testing needs to be 
there needs to be a serious conversation about that. And I think, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of those conversations obviously happening. And my hope is that in the next few days out of, you know, the governor's office, the state board or the state superintendent, that we, we will get some more guidance and clarity or at least a, a assurance that all of those things are, are being addressed and, and, and worked on. Uh, my general feeling is that there's going to be a fair amount of, you would expect there to be a fair amount of latitude given it, certainly that's how I'm expecting given how deep and significant this is going to ultimately be. Yeah. Thanks Alex. Yeah. Keep us up to date on all that. And, and so really, really, if you don't get the, um, the information coming out from the uh, um, association, whether you're a member or not, you know, you can join their listserv and get it. Rhonda and her team are really, you know, they're there for everybody, regardless, every day. And there's lots of great, great, great information coming out. So I think Rhonda and Lisa had shared that regardless of you're a member or not, you know, they're going to give access to these tools and uh, resources and everybody else's contact information that has spoken so far. I'll add in all the school leaders that have, ha have already gone through this um, situation as well. I just saw that um, Metrolina Regional Scholars also in the Charlotte area uh, is uh, closing as of Tuesday. Um, so maybe we can get Ari on in a few minutes. But Katie, why don't you take us through a couple of the questions? I, I see we've got about 30 people on. So I know there's been lots of questions posted in there. Um, mm -hmm. And if you want access to the Google Doc, go to the email that you got to receive here and you can you know, hop in here and start to look at the resources that we've been adding. So go ahead, Katie. Sure thing. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to read through the chat. I've, I've collected the questions, but people have been adding in some great resources. Uh, Barbara Cohen has added in a Google blog that helps teachers with remote learning. Uh, Lisa Gordon-Stellis shared an LA Times article that helps everyone with resources during the coronavirus. So those links are in there. Um, so one of the first questions that came out was about uh, school nutrition. And there are three questions so I'll put out there about school nutrition. One is, uh, is there any general guidance coming out? Uh, how do you bring the student population into the school while the school's closed without major exposure? And can school nutrition programs get reimbursed for students, uh, for people who are not their students, or do they charge anybody who shows up? So, you know, they just love some guidance on, is there general guidance? How do you, how do you bring people in without major exposure? And who gets reimbursed and who doesn't? Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody who feels like they have any resources to direct people to or have answers to that, we'd love to, to hear your answer. Rhonda, did we get something from, um, I think Central Park School for Children looked into this question, mm -hmm. and it's my understanding that there's, that the Department of Education has waived some, some requirements, but I don't know for sure. Um, we did get um, an email yesterday from Maureen Joy about the hubs that Durham Public Schools is setting up. As I said earlier, that there is no charge to anyone that goes. They're not going to be asking what school the child goes to. It's just they are providing free breakfast and lunch during time periods to, to, to all students. Um, yeah, that's I, right, Lisa. Um, and, the yeah. Department of Agriculture has approved for schools to uh, set up hubs and that um, 
anyone, uh, students up to age 18 are allowed to uh, go and, and get food from the hubs that are set up. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure where that's going on in other parts of the state, but I do know that in Durham, um, different schools in the area are creating those hubs. So our biggest consideration would be, is exposure problems going to throw us into a greater issue? And do we just not even open that hub? Is well, that so no, I don't, so Maureen Joy Charter is going to be a hub in Durham. So a charter school can be a hub because they actually get food service from Durham Public Schools. I would not be concerned about that. The CDC guidance and other government guidance has said that um, schools should be providing meals to students during this time if they can. Well, um, we're in the nutrition program, so I get what you're saying. So, okay. so I can't imagine that when you're getting uh, outside guidance that that is going to be an issue. Now, if, if you know that you have an outbreak at your school, then yeah, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't have you be a hub. But if you're closing out because of the public health, general public health threat, which is what we're talking about. I wouldn't let that deter you from being a hub. Okay. Um, and, and, and somebody, I think, said earlier that if we are only operating that feeding program, we can better clean, better sanitize, better contain. Uh, and then obviously, if something, uh, you know, somebody walks in that we think is infected, we shut everything down. I mean, that would be the only. I, I, that's the only way I can see it happening. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. So Sandy Brighton just shared with us a document that Claire Porter with Office of Charter Schools sent out today at 9.03 actually. Um, and it's, so you should all have this in your inbox and it is exactly about school nutrition saying there's a waiver available to allow serv the service of meals to children in non-congregate settings due to unanticipated school closing um, due to COVID-19. And then there are, there are documents attached uh, offering further clarification. So I'll attach this to our- I've got Claire Porter. I, I just haven't had time to read it because I've been hanging on every word that has been coming out today. This is awesome, by the way, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. But I'll add this, um, oh, and Joan Realman sent it to me also. So I love everyone's coming together, supporting everyone during this tough time. Uh, so there's some answers for school nutrition. Another question was, um, will there be any flexibility with calendar laws and hours, uh, if anybody has any details on that? This has to be a, a legislative decision, and that's why we're trying, that's why they're, the association and DPI are, are prepped on their, having their legislative liaison communicate that. But until the legislature does something, there's nothing that can be done. Okay. Um, and and just know that I'm sure that the legislature is uh, getting the picture that this is very, very important, because this is not just an issue to charter schools. This is an issue to district schools too. So um, yeah, they're, they're gonna get a lot of pressure until they make a decision on that. And I would say that they're gonna need to make a decision on that soon. Uh, I am disappointed though that they have decided not to be working right now while everybody else is panicked, but um, <clears throat> we're staying on top of that for sure. 
And, and Joe Mamoni did say what in our call, um, was it yesterday, seems like forever ago, um, that um, they were very well aware of that. And they're looking at this through the lens of it's akin to like a hurricane. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm not as worried about that at this point, because I do think that be given the breadth and scope, which I think will only continue to get greater, the legislature will have to act. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that. Another hey, question was, the, oh, just, just to add to that, Katie, the Business and Finance Group came out uh, this morning or late yesterday with some specific things that we need to be tracking during this. And part of that is the calendar, and it depends on whether a school is tracking their calendar and basing their calendar or hours or days, um, but also tracking uh, loss of wages, absences related to um, corona and any excess time that you might need to pay because of the this outbreak. So take, did I assume everyone got that email or do you want me to copy it into the document? If you yeah, yeah, that'll be great, Ellie. Or you can send it to Katie or I and we'll, we'll you know, drop it in there and clean it up. I'll copy it in. Thank you. Thanks so much. So another question was, can a board grant special powers to a school leader to make a decision to close? No. No, okay. But your board needs to do that. There is, you cannot delegate this. It is not that hard. Get an emergency meeting on the phone. We're voting to close. But so you cannot can delegate that power. So it can be by phone. Yes, if Absolutely. you can hold an emergency meeting, you can give basically all you, you, you could, two minutes before you get on the meeting, emergency meeting of the XYZ board of directors, Here's the phone call in number if people want to attend because it's just to be a public meeting, but it can be by phone. Um, you have to have a quorum. Um, none, none of that's waived, but it, it doesn't have to be a production. So get on the phone and make your decisions. Yeah, you can't vote by text or email. Right. It has to be open, but it can be on a phone or a Zoom or whatever you choose and just make it open and immediately as soon as you, just like Lisa said. We're having a meeting at two, it could be 155. It doesn't matter as long as you do the same thing that you normally do for your regular meetings, put it on your website or whatever it is, get it out there and go. Don't let that impact, um, you know, like the future of your school, just have the meeting and go. Okay, perfect, thanks so much. So the next question has to do with uh, employees that help with meals. Part of the money for their salaries come from reimbursements based on meals served. So should schools encourage those folks to draw unemployment? Of course, if we're opening as a hub, this is a moot question. Right. I, I would say that if you have employees who are hourly employees and you're not gonna be able to pay them, um, during the time the closure, then they can apply for unemployment. Um, and even under today's rules, they will get unemployment because they're considered a furloughed employee. Now, if you're asking people, the people that are actually working to do whatever for the school, are, they're still employees, so you have to, and they're working. But if you are sending people home and they don't have work to do and they're not salaried, um, and you feel as though you don't wanna pay them, um, then they can apply for unemployment. I, I said earlier, that is my recommendation. You already have your budgets. <laughs> You're already being paid. 
through June 30th, mm -hmm. you know, I have some concerns about optics of not paying hourly employees when your when your school is. Um, and, I, and that's not something I made up. Other other organizations are feeling the pressure because news media would make a lot of employers saying, "You we're closing. Good luck to you." Right. Uh, and and you're talking the most vulnerable of your school in terms of in terms of economic security. Agree wholeheartedly. Right. Okay. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the next question is uh, from a school that is closing next week, but they're having the lottery on Thursday. That's when it's scheduled, and we haven't really talked about lottery. So, and this is going to impact all schools that have their lottery in the spring, which most schools do. So the school does not want to, you know, have it as an open meeting. It could be, you know, they don't want a large group gathering. So they're planning to do it live via video are there any implications to to holding the lottery via video i see no problem with that um i mean i i just got noticed that a number of schools were going that route i think it's the safe route the last thing you want is a group of people i mean the governor has said you know we shouldn't be having groups of people um you're canceling even if your school is not you know for schools that are not closed everyone is canceling activities that bring large groups of people together. This just falls in line with that. So okay. I would say go forward with your lottery. I will say, interesting to note, uh, Durham Public Schools has just extended, extended their acceptance for kids who got into magnet schools during their lottery. Um, they, they have extended it all the way until after kids come back from um, this closure. So just something to keep in mind that, um, you know, that, for whatever reason, it may be that parents, you know, it may be, you, there may be issues with overwhelming the, uh, our internet system, but whatever it might be, um, because they require acceptance over the internet. Um, just think about these types of things that parents might be, be having um, issues with um, once you execute your lottery. Okay. And so what I heard and what you were saying was that you could also consider amending your enrollment policy to, you know, to change the, you know, the timing of the lottery, or for when student, you know, parents accept and those kinds of things. I would be more inclined to have the lottery, mm -hmm. and okay. because amending your policy is going to be more of a challenge at this point. Mm -hmm. But allow, say, say a parent says to you, you know, for whatever reason, and and I, I, I was kind of surprised that Durham Public Schools extended acceptance, but all of their acceptance is it's online. You have to go and fill out a form. Okay. or you have to go into a school. And so if you, if you don't have internet and you have to go into a school and the school is closed, of course you can't accept. So you've got to give someone an out or another method of accepting. Um, okay. And so I would not change your date of your lottery. I would just make accommodations with respect to how kids can accept. Um, okay. And I would be very concerned at this point in, you know, if you get a lot of people that don't respond to your lottery, not writing them off because of this unusual situation. Right. Okay. No, some great advice, Lisa. Thanks a lot. Uh, okay. So the next question has to do with um, IDEA and students with IEPs and 504s, which we've covered a little bit, but just for folks who might have hopped on the call a little later, how do schools stay in compliance with federal laws regarding students with disabilities? Uh, you know, how does it impact service plans, service times? What about students who are self-contained? 
and get speech and OTPT services. I know that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a big one that our school talks about yesterday. So I would love for the school leaders to kind of chime in here. But, you know, I was talking to our EC director about, look, we got to do what we got to do. So let's, let's first, let's get our service, the, uh, the uh, livery model in front of us. And let's start thinking about how we can serve you know, different students. What are the capacities? Let's talk to our related services about what they're doing over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, compensatory services are what they are, right? So, I mean, if you got to do it, you, know, you have to do it. And, and so you just have to make that plan. The other part that we talked about was the 90 day timeline is another thing that we need to kind of get some answers to. What are our psychologists going to do? So if you've got students that are currently in your 90 day you know, timeline for uh, testing, I mean, these are some things. So this might be an area, Katie, where we need to pull some questions together and, and, and you know, find some other experts as well uh, who can help us. But I'll open it up to the school leaders. Or to Lisa, if you've got some information here, uh, what you know uh, you all have heard. So I'm going to step back. Um, this is Kelly from Tiller Charter School, and um, we are a small school. We're 207 beautiful children and amazing staff of 16 lead teachers. <laughs> so we're tiny on the scale of what so many have been saying, but. Um, agree so much with some of the aspects and, and the perspectives that have been shared. Um, I am anticipating a closure. I say anticipating, I know exactly how I feel, but we'll be coming together with my board between three and five o'clock today to do a final decision. And that means that our school is gonna go against the grain of the entire county. We're the only charter school in the county. And so we're just trying to anticipate, you know, how we'll problem solve um, with just perspective. Um, that's not the big issue. I know we want to talk about our EC children, but um, as a staff, we got together, completed a Google form together a couple of days ago so that we could identify what were meaningful, tangible materials that could go home with our children, and then what would be the plan um, online activities that our students could do that would be enhancing, you know, um, their practice and keeping their skills sharp. Um, but then also what were the programs that we utilize that allow us to track progress so that we can make differentiated decisions for our students. Um, we got that plan in place and then yesterday, remarkably, our teachers sent home their children with their children all of their tangible materials. Um, most of them planned for two weeks, possibly five weeks. Um, and we sent them home with a small toolkit of pencils and things like that that they might need. We also communicated with our parents um, that right now our plan, this is why these materials are in your child's backpack. And what we would ask that you do is wait for instructions on how to utilize those materials in the event that we, that we close the school. Um, we also uh, came up with a communication plan as a faculty on how we would begin to deliver consistently a solid unified effort in delivering in the same way through nothing fancy email we're going to utilize email with our families because that's the most consistent use right now we have lots of other ideas too um, but we have really young learners and we're a school that really prides ourselves on hands-on and experiential learning and that's hard to do <laughs> over um, the computer so with that our ec team began to meet with those teachers and they've created a communication plan. My EC team consists of only two teachers. I have one teacher that's dedicated to K through two. 
I have one EC teacher that's dedicated to three through five, and they have a very close um, relationship with the teachers of the students that they serve, including that we try to so that they have common planning time. So they were able to develop a communication plan where they're sharing those assignments, and those assignments can be modified, and they've begun to reach out to those parents on an individual basis to set up a plan on how they can support their students. Um, so because we're so small, um, oh, my heart is so full with the pride that we can deliver some real personal service um, to them, but it's a simple plan right now. I don't know how it will grow, but we just, our mindset was to keep things, you know, as simplistic as possible. Thanks, Kelly. How about Alex or, or Ellie or Sandy or, you know, Ari, you know, and uh, Tammy, you know, you folks that are on here that have, uh, you know, decided to change your uh, calendars, what are some of the conversations you had and uh, what are the steps that you're taking? So I'll, I can just jump in, uh, met with my EC director again yesterday about it and actually DPI had an EC webinar. Uh, I imagine they've probably posted it as well if there are any charter school leaders or EC leaders on the call that did not participate. But some uh, notes that my EC director shared was um, EC leaders and related services, kind of the rules of what counts as services, as long as there's an element of instruction that addresses specific goals. Um, inclusion can be documented, facilitated, facilitated directly by a service provider. It can't simply be a packet sent home or a video that they go and do on their own. There has to be some time for goals to be addressed with direct instruction with the teacher. So even if you are sending something home, if you don't have video or high-tech access, I think if you have a conference call with that student and talk, you know, I think there's got to be some kind of adjustments. Um, it's really important that we reinforce with all of our EC staff that they continue to maintain careful documentation of services. Um, one of the things about the records as was also discussed about absences. So if we're delivering direct instruction or running a digital learning environment, um, making sure with the parents that the student's available. Um, they did indicate that they can count that the services were rendered um, if the student was absent from that, just like they were absent from school, if there were other students and it was a service that was provided for that kind of small group instruction. Um, trying to think of, they did bring up the topic because Lisa and I discussed this the other day about bringing small groups into work at our school once a week. And DPI said that this was not recommended because it could lead to transportation issues and then the school is required to pay for transportation. Um, and if the building is closed, we shouldn't be opening it to students. That was their feedback. Um, and one of our biggest challenges is going to be to support the, the social and emotional learning goals for those EC students. So we're gonna be working on that on Monday, trying to figure out how we can do that. Um, we've also identified our staff that because we're moving to a digital learning environment, they may have freed up some time because some of the things they typically do will not be happening since we're not in school with children. So we're going to reallocate those resources to providing the EC team with extra supports to provide for more service for our students in need. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah, I just had a school leader send in some additional ideas for tracking 
um, online interactions with EC students and she said that they, uh, her school has created a Google spreadsheet. So EC teachers are adding the time and date they Zoomed, you know, if they do a Zoom conference call with their, um, with their students with IEPs, then, you know, then they have documentation for that. So that's another idea, um, you know, that you all are, are welcome to adopt. And uh, so I have a couple school leaders who are out there looking for the link to the recording for the webinars that were held yesterday. And once we get that, we'll be sure to share that as well. So you have that source of information. Somebody on the um, chat line did say that they found some of the information contradictory. So, you know, take it with the grain of salt. Okay, Kelly has just uh, posted the EC director's PowerPoint from yesterday. So that's in the chat. Uh, so the next question that came up was, uh, does paying hourly employees through Title I funds change due to school closures? And are Title I tutors who are directly not teaching or tutoring uh, students due to the closures, are they still allowed to be paid through Title I funds? That's a great question. I don't know that I have the uh, definitive answer on that. Okay. I guess what to me that would align with if you offer any paid time off to your employees, what bucket does that come from? Mm. It's, it's a similar situation because what, if you give someone paid time off and they're not doing their job because they're off, right. you know, you can still pay them out of the same bucket. Um, okay. So that would be how I would liken it to. I would think that that's a good question for Acadia <laughs> um, because I don't have, I, I'm not as familiar with which funds can be used. I know personnel is the main thing to use for Title I, but you know, it's also the same for teachers. If teachers aren't teaching and you're still paying them out of your Title I funds, I, I can't imagine that that's gonna be a problem. However, um, this is Joan Roman and I worked in grants and compliance for quite a while and um, there is a responsibility to document those hours that were specifically aligned to providing services to students. And if they were not, then that, those funds had to be pulled out of a different bucket. So I would expect that we need to see federal guidance on whether or not we can use those funds to pay employees who are not directly serving students while they're off. So what I hear is that documentation is key at this time. More than ever. It sounded like somebody was gonna chime in, uh, Katie. I don't know if it was Amanda uh, or... Yes, Amanda. Um, I, I agree with that statement because for the teaching staff that's paid with the Title I funds, if they're continuing instruction, even though it's on um, the online platform, I would say that they would still be eligible to be paid with the Title I funds. Um, what it'll affect would be like your tutoring staff um, or the staff that do the one-on-one -on -one pullouts. If, if they're not having an interaction with the students, then I would say that they should not be paid with the Title I funds. Um, and again, that's where your time and effort uh, documentation comes in to ensure that you are paying them with the Title I funds for the time that they spend um, working with the students in the Title I program. Perfect. And that's Amanda with Acadia North Star. Thank you, Amanda, for offering that, um, you know, that documentation for time and effort is, is going to be critical to make sure that you are getting information to your finance partners so they can 
they can pay everybody out of the right buckets and until some federal guidance is, is provided. Um, um, this is Kelly again. Can I just ask um, what might other directors, other schools have done um, as far as responsibilities for um, teaching assistance during this time when we're closed? Um, so for paying them during for, this time? Well, not just paying them, but you know, there's so much, even if we're, you know, if we're teleschooling, there's so much that a teacher can do, can work. There's still a lot of work to be done as the lead teacher of that classroom. But, you know, what are, what might other schools have done as far as giving other responsibilities to their teaching assistants? Okay, so a breakdown of responsibilities for teacher assistants um, right. to support teachers during this time. Yes. Okay. Sure, anybody have uh, ideas on how to, how to um, kind of delineate that? Uh, hi, it's Ellie. I can jump in a little. Our, our teaching assistants, we call them teaching partners. We have a different model on a regular day basis. Um, we view them more as partners. They do planning with the teachers and deliver instruction in small groups. So we would intend for them to continue that, um, being part of that planning process and running separate sessions and helping support getting materials together. Um, if there are, if there is extra time available, we will also have them support EC. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Ellie. Anybody else have thoughts on, you know, how to engage TAs or teaching partners? Well, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll just say this, just really do the right thing, right? I mean, this is, this is, um, this is really going to impact all sorts of, you know, individuals at levels that probably most of us have no understanding of. And so, I mean, as much as you can <clears throat> to, uh, you know, be able to uh, support um, every level of your staff during this time. I keep on thinking about Alex's comment about that young lady that's, you know, pregnant and she's in a, uh, you know, shopping center, like, and she doesn't know what to do because her school district hasn't, you know, th there's just... This is why we put this call together was because you're, everybody in your organization needs you, right? To be that uh, person out in front, to make them feel safe and that it's going to be okay. Um, so technically, yes, there's all these, you know, legal mumbo jumbo and all this stuff we have to do, but gosh, just really just do the right thing, right? And, and, uh, and you know, I make sure that you're uh, documenting more than you've probably ever uh, before. And um, if you mess up, you just, you know, he said, I didn't know, you know, thank you for teaching me and, uh, and, and, you know, we'll do it better the next time there's a worldwide epidemic uh, that, that, you know, we have to address. So thanks everybody for hanging on this call for so long. We're, you know, over uh, two hours in and we still got, you know, 25 plus uh, folks on here. So go ahead. I don't know if we've got all that answered, Katie, but, you know, uh, keep on going. I, I just, I am out of questions. Uh, I think I've collected everybody. If I missed yours, you know, just add it to the chat again. Um, I, 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 wanna, I was trying to make sure I caught everybody's, but I do have two recommendations that folks sent to me privately that I just put out there. Um, one is that uh, one way to build a partnership with the LEA, you know, that is closest to you is to mirror your calendar to theirs. It makes it easier for your families. And, you know, this one benefit of this pandemic could be uh, additional collaboration amongst charters and district schools. 
you know, so that's one thing for you to consider is mirroring your calendar, you know, when are you going to close and, and you know, how you're going to manage your days, you know, doing that along the same lines as, you know, your, your LEA. Uh, another idea is, you know, Alex's point about the inequity that is going to arise in, in reaching and teaching students during this time um, is, is to think about the community partnerships that could be created during this time to address these deficits and that the short turnaround time might be challenging, but it's amazing when you get, you know, folks, you know, who want to do the right thing in the same room. Uh, so this school leader said meaningful instruction may need to be delivered through other online platforms, YouTube or Bulb. I'm not familiar with that, but maybe you are, or other ways that students may be able to access through phones, because while they might not have a computer at home, they more than likely have a smartphone at home. TikTok. Uh, TikTok. Put it through TikTok. Yeah, you, everybody loves oh, TikTok God. or Snapchat. Um, so with appropriate quality work packets supported with video instruction, you know, the, you might be able to bridge this gap. So just two things, mirror the calendar of the LEA, if that's appropriate for your school. Um, I know, you know, Kelly at um, Tiller, Tillery, with Tiller School said that, you know, they're going to be the anomaly in their, their county. So that might not work for you, um, but it might be a chance to partner with the community. But those are all the questions that I had. Um, oh, I do have another, an, another recommendation. The, the school, this one school is going to do a mock e-learning day on Monday. So they can work through the issues for both teachers and students. So they're going to do a trial before they, they go live. So that's always a good idea. Uh, another idea is we might consider uh, donating leave policies, and we might want to consider those who are at risk, pregnant or other health issues, that we ask uh, employees to donate PTO to them. So there are another couple of good ideas. Yeah, that's an interesting piece from a charter school perspective, Lisa. If you're still on, what is that? What would that look like? Donating leave. I remember from a school system that that, that had a you know process and it was able to do. You know, since the charter schools operate locally, is that you can't donate from charter to charter, but within your school, I mean, unfortunately, it does require a some sort of procedure and standardization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, we're in uncharted territory. And, you know, sometimes I'm of the mindset, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm -hmm. And this may be one of those times if you have someone at your school that is really in uh, a difficult situation. Um, the, the main issues with with donating leave time is just not being discriminatory, which is why everyone always wants to have like a set policy on what that is. But, you know, I would encourage you if you're thinking about doing that to reach out to your counsel, your legal counsel and say, here's what we want to do. We realize we, we can't really do the policy right now. We've got too many things going on, but can we do this? You know, and, and then, and as I think Katie was saying earlier, document, 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 you know, why you're doing it um, and how you're doing it. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. So I would love as we look like we're, you know, maybe coming to a close for our, you know, experts on the call. We've got the insurance of people and, you know, and Acadia, just maybe 30 to 60 seconds at the end. Just what are your thoughts over this, you know, two and a half hours? What should be everybody's next step? Um, you know, so anything. So I'll start with Steve. Uh, I think I had muted you before. So let me make sure I come back here and get you, Steve. Um, so if, uh, uh, here we go, Steve. Um, all right, Steve, so you're on, you're available. 
Okay. Some, from, from, you know, from a liability, you know, piece, hearing all the questions from all the school leaders, what are some good next steps for them? Well, I'm, I'm a big follower of what Lisa's saying because, you know, legal and insurance are hand in hand. You know, we're, our policies are written by legislators. So we are, um, anything we can do to reduce risk, transfer risk is, is the best thing to do in the day. I think the determination if coverage is going to be applicable is going to be up to the individual carriers. I feel like the government is going to have to step in both on a state level and a national level to to support our schools, especially with on um, the distance learning challenges you're going to have, uh, the challenges to the board for decisions made or not made or or, or, or type decisions you make. And um, I feel good about that part. I think the coverage is there to support y'all. And on workers' comp, you know, if if your uh, faculty staff is exposed to this, that's a potential claim. And, and um, even though I'm not an adjuster and I can't say that's covered, I would think it would be. And so, um, and I think Hadley brought up about the cyber piece. You know, that's going to be a big challenge is making sure you've got adequate cyber protection uh, from potential hacking and and all like that from um, foreign entities or wherever hacking's coming from. So uh, I know we put cyber coverage on all our schools. We feel good that that coverage is in place. Um, and then on the health insurance side, um, the government said they're going to step in with these co-pays, the telemedicine, if we can get treatment, you know, from um, if we are sick, um, through telemedicine, I think that reduces risk to, um, you agree, Lisa, to the hospitals. We should not be going to hospitals unless we, it's a, a true emergency. You need to call. You shouldn't even go to the doctor's office. Um, there was just a case where someone went to a doctor's office, had coronavirus. That office is now, it's a, they can't op, they cannot do anything. They have to shut down. They cannot serve their patients. So your population should be calling doctor's offices rather than going in unless it is a true emergency situation. Um, it, 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 it has to be handled at home at this point. Um, sorry, go ahead. Um, no, you're good. Wow. I didn't, what a, thank you, Steve, uh, uh, for that. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And, and so I, so I want to hit on that cyber piece. So if she's, if you're still on Olivia, is that, you know, you know, what are some things if you're still with us, you know, what are some things that some schools could do to help with that, you know, cyber, uh, the cyber protection as some of them are starting to really reach outside of their normal stretch. You're still with us. Yeah, you are. Yeah, um, that's sort of a difficult thing to, to do, um, especially with charters and new charters. So a lot of you, you know, first year operating budget, you don't have that much to spend on that third party software that would follow students home with cybersecurity. Mm. Um, so put together, uh, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the call, but we've had people join since then. Um, so in our document that's on the Google Drive, there's some options for parents to get in um, and set up some stuff at home themselves um, just to make sure that they're secure on their end. Um, but obviously that's not going to work for, you know, many parents that are going over, you know, cell phone plans that doesn't um, cover the data networks um, with cell phones. So that's something that is going to be sort of difficult to, to go through. Yeah. All right. Hey, Olivia, quick follow-up question on that. We use Hapara in school 
to monitor computers and to provide the level of protection. Will that extend to the students that are in the computer's home? Yes, I'm actually formulating an email to you specifically since we, we support you guys. Um, so GoGuardian and Hapera both have out of school mode um, that can be toggled off. So if any of you guys use that, um, your IT person with your specific schools can help you with that. Um, and it will actually allow you to um, monitor students while at home if they're using the devices or a Chromebook with um, their school email address um, logged in. Awesome. I just added Olivia's doc. It was already in the Google doc, but I put it in the chat in case you couldn't find it. So thank you, Olivia. And I saw that uh, section you're referring to. A yeah. whole other issue, right? You're CEOs yeah. of multi-million dollar enterprises. I always tell you that. I don't know if you always believe me, but this is CEO stuff that you're dealing with. It's no longer school level uh, principal uh, from, you know, from a lot of these um, angles now that are coming at you between safety and community and internet and how do we deal with all this outside the box thinking. So I appreciate everybody's time. All right, who's, uh, how about Acadia? Do you got any uh, last thoughts, Amanda, from like an auditor's and a finance perspective, you know, things that since you're hearing everybody talk about that they uh, should be really, really thinking through over the next, the next couple of days? Um, as far as the student information, um, definitely with moving to the online learning platform, I just encourage the schools to communicate with us um, to let us know, you know, what changes need to be made, what information that you're needing from us, because we are here in a support capacity. Um, finance, uh, from what I'm hearing, there may be additional costs for supplies having uh, to be sent home with your students, um, Chromebooks purchases and all that so work with your account executives so we can monitor your budget and um, work with you on that to make sure that you know the funds are available and, and you're getting what you need to supply your students yeah thanks so much Amanda uh, Katie does such an incredible job uh, with you know so many schools and, and it also you know most of our business partners here most of churches maybe don't know they're incredible community partners and are constantly giving back uh, their time and their treasures, um, you know, back to their local communities. So really reach out to them, whether you're a partner with these groups or not, they're here for you, um, you know, uh, giving their time and their expertise, you know, to you. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask a question. So um, Lisa and Rhonda, do you guys have uh, something to share? Yeah, just a couple of things from me, Tom. This is Rhonda. Um, first of all, I am just uh, overwhelmed by the collaboration I see in the charter community. And I just want to encourage everybody to continue to do that. This is, um, this is a, not a time to be in a silo. So uh, think about, you know, your your first year schools, your uh, struggling schools, reach out to them. Some of you on here have been doing this a long time and you can provide support to these people who are still learning. And then the second thing, the association absolutely will not be letting legislators off the hook. They might not be in session right now, but let me let you know, they are hearing the concerns and uh, I'm gonna work tirelessly for you and y'all hang in there reach out to me anytime yeah thanks Rhonda absolutely I hear you Lisa um, I will end by saying I am also available if anyone has any questions um, after this call or in the coming weeks 
Um, I, I, I've been probably inundating most of you, but I've been checking the news continuously. And so Wake County has said, Wake County Public Schools has said that while it is not making a decision to close at this time, it is preparing for the possibility and ask parents to prepare for closure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I see, I will be very surprised if they do not close in short order. Um, according to the latest information from the CDC, a school district will school district will need to remain closed for at least eight or more weeks if they have a confirmed case. Wow. So wow. this is why we need to be proactive. Wow. Can you say that wow. again, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> According to the CDC, a school district will school district will need to remain closed for at least eight weeks if they have a confirmed case of exposure. Wow. That's okay, so this is why we need to act now yeah. and not wait for our, our fearless leaders who appear to not be there. From a so, liability, I mean, from a liability perspective, right? You just got to do it. Just make that get, if you don't have a board meeting scheduled, you, as soon as you get off the session, get a board meeting scheduled, everybody, and, and have this conversation. You've invested this time. You, you know, you just have to do it. You just have to do it. Um, you can't afford a liability issue, you can't afford to close your school, you know, for months at a time, uh, if, you know, something happens just a brave one day. Um, Katie, any, you know, last thoughts from your time here? No, I think mean, all the questions have been answered. I just am so thankful for our partners that have come together and the school leaders who've taken the time from their Saturday morning to, uh, to get educated. Please share this information with any school leader who was not on the call. Tom and I have recorded this and we'll make sure the link is available so you can share this out along with the Google Doc. But, uh, but anyway, all I have to say is thank you. Yeah, look, uh, to, to change a culture, right? To change a culture, you gotta create a common enemy. Well, we have one. We all have a common enemy. This thing is not discriminating. It doesn't matter where you are on the globe. So be that disruptor in times of disruption. Reach out to your local partnerships, get with the school district, do what you gotta do to be able to make sure that not only your people and everybody in your neighborhood and community feel safe, feel that they have a way. Um, don't feel like you have to do it all by yourself. Get off of your island charter school leaders. This is not the time to let your ego get in the way. Um, you have, you know, you have to look. I said at, I'm at the beginning. Right. In times of uncertainty, uh, people are looking for leadership and they're looking for security. Right. So inform them, connect them, guide them and unite them and be that voice that they need. If someone's afraid to step up, just do it. Go out and step up, and make that call and do what you've got to do. You'll figure it all out on the back end. Remember, your mission is way more important than the how. OK, why do you exist? It's to serve. Well, this is part of service. And you'll figure all the rest of the junk out later. Uh, but you've got to make that call so that people can start making those, um, you know, just, you know, making those changes uh, that they do. This is going to disrupt everybody. No one can escape this. You can't hide from this uh, right now. So as Alex shared uh, before, you know, be the leader that your community needs. And so thanks, everybody. Contact information is here. We'll upload this video in some capacity, probably to our uh, principal's podcast because it's so long, it might be easier uh, that way and get it back out. Um, and we'll try to get a minute by minute all the contact information for the school leaders and the uh, business leaders that we had um, 
volunteering their time this morning will also go back out with that email. So we love you all. Uh, take care of yourself. Take okay. care of your communities. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Love you, Tom and Katie. Thanks, thanks a lot. Well Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.